Hey, welcome to the finale of our series called Unshakable Future. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody joining us on our online campus. Hope uh, you're not still tripped in on tryptophan, uh, you know, taking a lot of naps, that sort of thing. Nothing like that turkey hangover uh, that comes after Thanksgiving. And we thought to kind of conclude this series about an unshakable future, we would look at uh, what the Bible has to say about the second coming of Jesus Christ and kind of interesting when you think about it and that is that there is more scripture in the Bible about Jesus's second coming his return than even his first coming although we're getting ready to celebrate that in this holiday Christmas season that we're in and, and so what I thought I'd do is is kind of contrast what the Bible says about when he came the first time that we're about to celebrate Christmas and his second coming as well in our time together today in this conclusion of the series. So uh, it's interesting, the Bible refers to Jesus' second coming. We get a lot of questions about this, you know, as pastors here at the church. And do want to just kind of mention, uh, although we're looking at the second coming today in January, uh, I'm going to be doing an eight-part series on Wednesday nights, Bible study, uh, going through the book of Revelation. I did this about 10 years ago. A lot of, a lot of great feedback about it, and we've, we've gotten so many questions recently uh, about it, I think, because of current events and things like that, that uh, we're going to do that again on Wednesday nights. We're going to be a small group here at the church. Might not be so small, maybe, I don't, I don't know, we're expecting probably 50 or so people each week, but that'll be at, uh, on Wednesday nights beginning in January for eight weeks, and just, uh, you know, keep a sharp eye on our event page when our groups launch. But I want to go back to uh, kind of this phrase that we've used uh, that kind of frames this series that we've been in, uh, and I think it frames this message as well, and that is what you believe about eternity determines how you live today. What you really believe about eternity determines how you live today, and that's why this is so important that we look at, and obviously can't even cover half or, or you know, even a third of all that the Bible says about the return of Jesus in one message, uh, but we need to look at it and, and cover some of it so that we really understand what, what is still ahead for us. And so you can follow along with me in our notes on valleyny.cc, our website, and uh, you can take some additional notes and, and email them to yourself, and, and you'll have those for all time uh, to look back on. But let's, let's pick up what Jesus said. In John chapter 14, verse 2 and 3, Jesus said, "'My Father's house has many rooms.'" And if that were not so, I would have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. He's talking to his disciples, but he's talking to you and I as well. And then he says, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So right there before Jesus even dies, he tells him, I'm going to go away, but I'm coming back again a second time. And oftentimes in Scripture, this is referred to in some places as the blessed hope. And this is the great hope that we have as followers of Christ, that we've placed our faith, we've placed our lives in Jesus Christ's hands, that he's going to come back again, and he's going to like set it all straight. He, he's going to right all the wrongs. He's going to eliminate evil, as we'll find out in our time today. So, I want to share first off in this message, looking at the return of Jesus, four characteristics of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Four characteristics of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And as I said, I want to kind of contrast it with the way that he came initially, uh, and then we celebrate 2,000 years ago that he came, 
as a baby in the manger, and then what the Bible says, how he's going to come back in the future. And, and I believe that future is, is, is very short. I, I really believe that, uh, I, I think in my lifetime I'm going to see that happen. Just as I understand scripture that I've studied, you know, <laughs> for years and years and years, when I see kind of like the changing in the world, uh, that, that literally every day it seems like things are getting darker, more evil, more oppression. Uh, you, you know, even other places in the world, our, our good friends in Ukraine, uh, they told us over a month ago when they visited with us uh, about military from Russia that is marshalling their forces on the borders of Ukraine. Now our news is finally picking it up after a month. And uh, just, just a lot of things, world domination uh, of nations and things like that. Uh, I think we're close. I, I think we're really close. Uh, and I know every generation feels that way. And, and really, according to the Bible, every generation should feel that way. Uh, I, I certainly feel that way, that in my lifetime, I, I believe that I literally will see the return of Jesus Christ with my own eyes. And, and so I want to share four characteristics of the second coming of Jesus Christ. The first time Jesus came, here, here's the first character, the first time it came, he came very, very slowly. Uh, in, in other words, it, it was thousands and thousands of years that it had been prophesied he was going to come, and, and then he came as a babe in the manger. He came as a baby to save us, not to scare us. And we're going to celebrate that at Christmas time, that he came, you know, God took on human flesh and humbled himself to the point of a child, a baby in the manger. But the second time that he's coming, it's going to be instantly. It's not going to be slowly. It's going to be instantly. In fact, let's look at a couple of scriptures to talk about how quick this is going to actually happen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, it says, For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. Like, like a thief, literally. Uh, no one's planning on their house getting robbed. No one's expecting, oh, tonight's the night. I can just tell we're going to get robbed tonight. But then it comes, boom, just like that. And that's how the return of Jesus, the second coming, is going to come. It's not going to take years and years for us to see that happen. It's going to be, boom, like a thief in the night. And in fact, Jesus told a parable one time about his second coming. He told this to his disciples. And look at what he said in Luke chapter 12. Verses 39 through 40, he says, but understand this, and he's, he's giving them some idea about what that's going to look like when he returns again, not as a baby, but as a conquering king. He said, but understand this, if the owner of a house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let the house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect it. And so that's why we're calling this message, Live Ready. Jesus tells his followers, it's our responsibility to live ready, that we're prepared. And the fact about the matter is, I'm okay. I mean, if he interrupts this service right now, this message, and he returns, I'm okay with that. That would be fine with me, even so come Lord Jesus. That's the way we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live ready, that we're yearning for the return of Jesus Christ. We can't wait. We're anticipating it. But at the same time that we plan and we prepare and we live our lives in such a way that if he doesn't come back in our lifetime, we're not going to be surprised about that either. And so we have to live with the long view, but we need to yearn for the instant return of Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus is saying. You know, so many times you hear people, you know, that uh, 
They're like, okay, nobody knows, but we can, we don't know the day or the time, but we know, <laughs> you, you know, we can know the season. Well, there's only one problem with that. Uh, you, you know, when, when someone says that, oh, I, I, and predicts when the return of Jesus is, Jesus said he doesn't even know the time. So if anyone ever tells you they know the time, they're putting themselves above Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if you want to waste your money buying their books, you just go ahead and do that because you're just lying in their pockets. But, but that just contradicts the words of Jesus himself. No one knows the date. No one knows the time. Jesus makes that emphatically clear. So we're not supposed to be, as followers of Jesus, on the date and time committee arguing about when it's going to happen, when it's not going to happen. We're supposed to really live our lives in the welcoming committee. That we are to be ready anytime, every time. We're supposed to be ready at all times for the return of Jesus Christ. And, and if someone comes out and says, oh, it's going to be another three years, that doesn't mean live like he's not coming. They're always going to be wrong. Jesus doesn't. Only the Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, knows the date and the time. And so, first time it was slowly second time is going to be instantly. Here's the next characteristic. The first time it was quiet. Think about it for just a minute. Uh, that the, the shepherds had to go find him. It's like nobody even knew. The angels had to appear to the shepherds out in the flocks, you know, keeping watch over their flocks by night, and had to say, oh, by the way, guys, something really major happened in Bethlehem. You want to go check it out. Jesus came very, very quietly without any fanfare. But the second time, it's going to be loud. It's going to be really, really loud. The entire world is going to hear when he returns the second time. Well, let's look at just one verse of Scripture that talks about this. There's so many. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, you talk about the 4th of July, Jesus' return is going to be so much bigger than fireworks going off that literally those that have died in Christ Jesus, that their souls are going to be reunited with their bodies and graveyards, cemeteries all around the world, boom, 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 are going to pop open and, and be our souls of those that, that are faithful to Christ that died and put their, had put their faith in Christ are going to be united with their bodies and boom, they're going to burst out of the cemeteries, out of the graves, literally. And the angels are going to return. So, so where it was just really quiet, this is going to be worldwide acknowledgement. Everyone's going to see this actually happen. And, and just like the Bible says that, that pretty interesting, a lot of people miss this, it's in the Gospels, that when Jesus rose from the dead uh, in, in Jerusalem, three days after being dead, that many other popped out, several other people popped out of their graves as well and walked around the streets of Jerusalem for a few days. It's in there, I don't have the reference for me right now, but you can Google that, you can check that out. But, but this is going to be a global thing. This is not going to be a surprise. This is not going to be people wondering what happened. This is the end of it all. This is the end of all time. And so the first time he came as a babe in a manger, very, very quiet. Second time he's going to come, and it's going to be loud. And no one is going to miss this. Everyone's going to be aware of it. That's what the Bible teaches. Uh, here's another characteristic uh, of the second coming. The first time uh, a single star was seen in the sky. And remember, that's what the angels told, again, the shepherds. 
you know, you'll see the star. And, and the wise men, it's, a, it's the three wise men, by the way. It's not the three wise guys. They're, they're not in the mob or anything. The three wise men, they're astrologers, three kings. They saw the star and they followed the star, but it was one single star in the sky. The second time, though, when, when Jesus returns a second time, it will light up the entire sky, the Bible tells us. Again, no one is going to miss this. This is going to end everything. This is going to have the, the focus of all humanity that's alive on the planet, and then those are going to be reunited that have passed already into their bodies as well. Look at just a few passages of Scripture that talk about this, and there's so many. Revelation chapter 19, verse 14, it says, The armies of heaven will follow him, will follow Jesus, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, fine linen white and clean. So it's not just going to be Jesus going to return. It's literally angelic armies of the Lord are all going to be visible and all return in the sky with him as well. This is going to be on display for all humanity to see. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, And he will help you and us who are suffering. There's going to be suffering right up until the time of Christ's second return. This will happen when the Lord Jesus comes down from heaven with his powerful angels in bright fire. So this is not going to be like, oh, hey, by the way, guys, something happened over there. That, that's kind of like how it was like the angels that, on, on Christmas to the shepherds. Hey, guys, by the way, something significant happened. No one's going to need to point this out. It's going to be on full display for all humanity, and, and no one's going to be sleeping. This is going to startle all of humanity, and everyone is going to be aware in fact, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, I love how it puts it. It says, look, look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him. No one's going to miss this. Everyone will see him, even those who have pierced him. And, and this is talking to, literally, the book of Revelation is written at a time that those who had actually pierced him, you know, they're, they're still around at that time, those Roman soldiers. And it said, even those who pierced him, they're going to know, Whoops, he really was the king of kings. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. This isn't going to be something that's just going to be viewed, you know, no one's going to need television, let me put it that way, in order to see this. This is going to be a miraculous, global, 360, 360 degrees viewing. That's how magnificent this is going to be. No one's going to have to be, wait a minute, you know, you know, my internet went out, I can't see what's going on. Let's just look up in the sky and everyone's going to be able to view this. I'm not going to need the help of technology. Technology, there wasn't even such a thing when it was written, when these scriptures were written. No one is going to miss it. It is going to light up the entire sky. Here's the next characteristic of a second coming. The first time he came, just a few people honored him. I mean, just think about that. You think about the nativity scene that we, that we reenact, uh, you, you know, that we put out the manger scene and, and all that, you know, this time of the year. Uh, there were probably more animals there than there were people this first time, first coming. Uh, he was honored by the, the shepherds. And, and then later on, the kings, the three kings got there to, to honor the Christ child. But the second time, Everyone will honor him. Everyone. Even those who reject him will honor him at that moment. Everyone will know that Jesus Christ is the true king, the only king. He is the king of kings 
and the Lord of Lords. Let's look at just one passage that talks about that. Romans chapter 14, verse 11. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. Think about that for just a minute. Everyone will rise from the dead that's ever lived, and every tongue will bow, every knee will bow, every tongue confess. Every bloodthirsty dictator that, that persecuted the Christian church, their knee will bow and their tongue will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. Every bully, every, every evil do, people that deny God is not real, every single enemy of the cross of Christ, their knee will bow and their tongue will confess. Because there's going to be no doubt about it. It will be so obvious. Jesus Christ is Lord. And he's the only one. Every president, every political party, every murderer, every, every blasphemer, everyone. But here's the thing. If it's the first time they've ever confessed Jesus Christ is Lord, it's going to be too late. It'll be too late. That has to happen in our lifetime, not at that moment of Jesus' return. And that's why it's important that you and I do it in this life. Jesus is Lord of my life. And we don't just confess it. We receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And that's where the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, in this lifetime, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. I, I've done that. I hope you've done that. If not, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that at the end of this message. Because you don't want that to be the first time that you confess Jesus Christ is Lord. It's too late at that point. As we've talked about in weeks past, you have an unshakable future. It's determined in this life by what we do. We don't get a second chance. A and it's too late at this point. It's going to be too late for too many people. But every knee will bow. Every tongue will acknowledge that God is. Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me give you now three purposes. Why, why is he going to do this? Three purposes for the second coming of Jesus. What's, what's really going to take place when he comes back? Why is he going to come back again? That's a real important question because the why helps us understand the what, what's, what's it's actually going to look like. We just looked at the what, now here's the why behind it, the purpose. The first time Jesus came to save the world. The first time when he came as a babe in the manger, grew up at the age of 30, you know, under, under his parents' guidance, at the age of 30 he starts his earthly ministry for about three and a half years, and, and then he's crucified, lives a sinless life, and he's crucified, he lays his life down as a sacrifice and a substitute for you and for me. He took the punishment, the price that my sins deserved, that your sins deserved. And, and, and he took that all upon himself, although he didn't deserve it at all. And then he rose again three days later. The first time he came as the savior of the world. But the second time, he's gonna come as the judge of the world. That's why it's too late when he comes back again. He's the judge at that point. He's not the Savior. The die has been set. The, the, it's been cemented at that point. Unshakable future, either with him in eternity or 
separated from him as we looked at last week as we talked about lessons from the other side in in torment of hell eternally and and so first time he came to save the world second time he's coming to judge the world when jesus comes back he's either going to be your savior he's already been your savior or he's going to be your judge and what we do in this life right now determines that relationship that we're going to have is he our savior or is he our judge Look at what the Bible says in Acts chapter 17, verse 31. It says, He has set a day when the entire human race will be judged and everything set right. And He has already appointed the judge, confirming Him before everyone by raising Him from the dead. Who's the judge? It's Jesus. Jesus is the judge. And remember, most all the time when you hear that word judge in the Bible, it means to sort out. And that's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to judge all of humanity. As we talked about week one, those whose names are written in the book of life, those are the ones that have received Jesus Christ as a Savior. He's, I know you. I know you by name. And he's going to judge. He's going to sort, come with me. I've prepared a place for you in eternity with me in the presence, in my presence for all eternity. And then for those that have never received Christ, he's going to judge them as well. And that will be like, you're separated from me for all time in, etern- in torment in hell. Very literal place, as we talked about last week. That word judge means to sort, to sort out. And so he will be the judge, and he will set everything right. And boy, I can't wait. As you see this world just circle in the toilet. I, I mean, just things getting worse and worse, darker and darker and darker. I, I can't wait for Jesus to return and to make it all right to set it all right, and that's what the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 17. Look at what Romans chapter 2, verse 6 through 8 tells us. And God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who are persistent in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. To those that are doing God's will, that have received Christ and they're, they're living their life for Jesus Christ, he'll give them eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. And that's what we looked at last week, those lessons from the other side. And again, boy, if you missed it, I encourage you. It's, it's a hard message to listen to, but man, it's important. To listen to hear that message and to really take it to heart so the first time he came to save the world the second time he's going to come to judge the world and, and then here, here's the second reason the second purpose for jesus's return the first time jesus came to die for our sins to die for your sin every single person to die for your sin to die for my sin the second time jesus is coming back to gather his family and his family it's not, humanity is not God's children. It's a common misconception. God's family, uh, those that are adopted into his family, are those that have received his son, Jesus Christ. That's who is in God's family. The Bible teaches us in a lot of different places that it's not humanity, that we become God's children, not because we're humans, but because we're saved through Jesus Christ by receiving Jesus Christ's sinless life, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection from the dead. Acknowledge it, he did that for me. He did that for you. So let's look at just a couple places where the Bible talks about this because he didn't have to do this. 
is because God is so much God of love that he provided this way for you and me. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, it says his unchanging plan, this isn't something he came up with, he, he, this has always been the plan, his unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family. How does it happen? Not by being human. How does it happen? By sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And he did this because he wanted to. God wanted to have a family. God wants you to be in his family. He wants me to be in his family. You're wanted by the creator of everything. And he made a way for you to be a part of his family. He made a way for me to be a part of his family through sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And uh, Look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 31. It says, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet. Again, this is going to be obvious. This isn't going to be something that, that happens and people don't notice. This is going to be extremely obvious. The world's going to know. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect. That's another word for his family, those that, that are in his family. He will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. From one end of the earth to the other, he will gather the family of God. And then in 1 Timothy, this is pretty interesting, especially uh, with, with some of the, can I put it, trends the, the, the things that are trending in, in Christianity nowadays. Uh, look at what 1 Timothy says. 1 Timothy 3.15. It says, Then, even if I'm delayed, Paul's talking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's writing this to a young pastor, Timothy. He says, I want to come to you. I want to see you. Even if I'm delayed, you will know how to live in the family of God. There's so much in the Scripture that tells us how we're supposed to relate to each other in the family of God. That family is the church of the living God, the support and the foundation of truth. That's what the church is, the, the family of God, the support and the foundation of truth. Now, here's the thing. Really trendy nowadays that, that people are like, I love Jesus, but I've given up on the church. There's only one problem with that. You can't be a Christian without being a part of the family of God, involved in the family of God. That, that's like saying, Jesus, I love you, but I don't like the rest of your family. Can't do that. You can't live out the commandments of Scripture when you're divorced and you're separated from a local church involvement. It's impossible. It, it doesn't happen. Because you and your living room are not the foundation of truth in all creation. That's in the church of God only. That is the foundation, and you don't have the support that you need. I, I, so many Christians right now are kind of withering on the vine because they're not committed to a local church. And, and they think they can outsmart the creator of the cosmos, Jesus Christ himself. Jesus didn't die for your living room. He died for a family. He died for you to be a part of a family. He gave his life so you'd be a part of a family, not on the fringe, on your own. And it's a real deception. And the, the Bible talks about at the end of the time, and we're heading towards it, that many believers' love for Christ will wane. It'll wax cold. And Jesus talked about how he, how he feels about lukewarm Christians. That they're, they're not devoted. That they're, they're not prioritizing the presence of Jesus Christ and the family of God in their life, they're just kind of like, take it or leave it. Eh, I don't know, whatever. Lukewarm, that's what that's called. 
And so it's so important. He's coming to gather his family. And if you don't want to be a part of the family, you're going to be on the outside looking in. That the Bible tells, that's, that's part of what's going to happen before he returns. The love of many, speaking of the love for Jesus Christ, it's going to wax cold, it's going to wane, it's going to peter out, it's going to be lukewarm. It, it's sobering to think about. As you see this happening, I see this happening all over the place in the lives of Christians. All over. And, and one of the reasons why I believe we're close, we're very close to the return of Jesus Christ. I believe it'll happen in my own lifetime. I believe I'll see it with my own eyes. Really do. Jesus will gather his family. Third purpose of the second coming is Jesus, first time he came, Jesus came in humility. He humbled himself. Think about that. The the Bible says that, that all of creation is held together by the very power of his word and he humbled himself so that he couldn't even speak as an infant. But he had to depend upon you know, his mother Mary and his father Joseph, stepdad anyway. God was his heavenly father, was the ultimate father, but he was stepdad to change his diapers. And that, that's humbling for the king of kings and the Lord of lords, that he humbled himself. But the second time he comes, he's coming as Lord of all. Lord of all, Lord of everything. Look at what Philippians chapter two, it talks about at the beginning about how he humbled himself it taking on the, 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 the lightness of man, humanity himself, the creator of everything. But then look at what it says in, in verse 9 of Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names. Think about that. Jesus is the name, Jesus Christ is the name above all names. That at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow. There it is again. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is power in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus Christ. Think about it. Isn't it crazy how when people swear, they use his name as a swear? They don't, no one says, oh, Greg. <laughs> oh, Sally. <laughs> you, you know, Oh, oh, Charlie, nobody says that. They, they use the name of Jesus Christ, even people that deny him and blaspheme him, they use his name because there's power in the name of Jesus Christ. Just in that name, Jesus Christ. There's power in that name. I, I think for, for many, it may, especially as a Christian, it's time for us to stop that. <laughs> don't, don't, don't use the power of the name of Jesus as a, as a curse anymore. Use it. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, you are Lord. You are King. There's power in that name. Incredible power. He's coming as the Lord of all. Listen, as a pastor, I mean, every day, for for over 31 years now, I, I have seen the pain that evil causes in people's lives. And it's hard. I, I'm, every day I, I, I have to deal with the pain that evil has caused in people's lives. I, I've literally dealt with people in pain every day for about 31 and a half years. And I think that's why it's just it's growing stronger and stronger and stronger in me just as the Bible says, even so, come Lord Jesus. Just come Lord Jesus. 
you know, I, I made a list here. I've got, I've got a list of uh, what Jesus is going to end when he returns. This is not an exhaustive list. But, but I, I just want to read this list to you right now. Because it, it's, it's not total. But, but I want you to just hear, this, this is why he's coming back. He's going to end all this. Think about it for just a minute. All atrocities, all aggression, all bloodshed, all bondage, all brutality, all cruelty, all corruption. He's going to put an end to all of it. All darkness, all dehumanization, all dictators, all disasters, finished. All enslavement, all evil, all hate, all harassment, all inhumanity, all injustice. Injustice is going to continue until Jesus comes back. Should we fight for justice? Absolutely. We should do all that we can to, to, to right the wrongs. But ultimately, it's an evil problem, and it's not going to rescind. It will not vanish, injustice, until Jesus returns and sets it right. All killing, all maliciousness, all manipulators, all molesters, all oppression, all racism, all tyrants, all violence, all war, all greed. I could go on and on and on. Jesus is going to right all the wrongs. That's why we hold out for the blessed hope. He's going to end it all when he returns again. And not only that, not only is he going to end evil, but, but Jesus is also going to end all the consequences of evil in the world. Just, just some of the, he's going to end all illness, all hopelessness, all betrayal, all cancer, all deafness, all death, all deformities, all defects, all dementia, all depression, all disappointment will be gone, eradicated forever and ever and ever. Man, that, that's what we have to look forward to. That's the blessed hope. That, that's why we put our faith in, in him. Because he is the once and future King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is good news. That is an unshakable future that you and I can look forward to. That's why he's coming back. Again, the purpose of it all. And so Matthew chapter 25, Jesus put it this way. So you two keep watch. Are you keeping watch? Are, are, are you more obsessed about the current events and and, and political, you know, picking at each other? Or are you obsessed with the return of Jesus Christ? We're supposed to be keeping watch, not on the nightly news, but on the King of Kings. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. Keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. He says, nobody knows. Don't let anybody fool you into buying their book series because they, they're telling you they know. Nobody knows. Jesus makes it clear. So we've got to keep watch. You've got to, and I have to, live ready. So, so how, do, how do we get ready? How, how can we really be ready all the time for the second return of Jesus Christ? Well, we need to live for him and look forward. 
That, that should be, we should be preoccupied with that. You know, you have that saying that uh, sometimes people are so heavenly, uh, uh, heavenly focused, heavenly bound, they're no earthly good. Well, I think for too many Christians, it's the exact opposite. We're so earthly focused, we're no heavenly good. We're supposed to live with eternity, always in focus, and his return. Look at what the Bible says. This is how we're supposed to, to live. Titus chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. And we are instructed to turn from, godly, uh, turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. That's talking to Christians, you and I. And we should live, uh, we should, I'm sorry, we should live in this evil world with wisdom, with righteousness, and with devotion to God, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. So we're supposed to turn from the ways of this world. We're not supposed to be obsessed. We're not supposed to be preoccupied with it. What we should be preoccupied with is the return of Jesus Christ and making sure as many people go with Jesus when he returns as possible. Sharing the gospel. That's why, you know, even coming into this Christmas time, you know, we encourage you, invite your friends, invite your family, because the time is short. And we want everyone, we want to do our part that God has entrusted to us, the responsibility to share the good news with as many people as we possibly can in our community and even those that are visiting our community during this holiday time. And so we need to live for him looking forward. Because here's the fact, the scripture just, another way of saying it, because what you believe about eternity does determine the way that you live. And so is the way that you're living, does that show what you really believe about eternity? Maybe we don't really believe it. We should. I hope these last four messages in this series uh, about unshakable future have helped you to understand what, what, what eternity is really going to be like Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 through 21, the Bible says, But our citizenship, we've heard this before, is in heaven, and we eagerly await. We're supposed to eagerly be awaiting a Savior from there. That's Jesus, capital S. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, that's what he's going to be doing with that list of all evil and all the consequences. He's bringing all that under control when he returns. And he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body and we'll be with him forever and ever. So here's the big question today. Are you living ready? Are you living ready? Where's your focus? When our focus is on the coming king, you know what? It's like that great hymn of the church. The things of this earth grow strangely dim when we turn our eyes upon Jesus. The things of this earth grow strangely dim. And we have this incredible yearning for his return and, and we're so eager to share the good news with other people that as many people as possible will go with us when Jesus returns to gather his family for all time and eternity. We don't have all the time in the world, folks. I, I believe it's going to be in our generation. If not, I, I pray it will be in our generation or in the generation to come. Time is running down. And, and we need to understand why he's so patient. Just like we talked about last week, I want to end the series, end this message with this. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, He isn't really being slow about his promised return, even though it sometimes seems that way. 
but he is waiting. He's waiting for the good reason that he is not willing that any should perish and that he is giving more time for sinners to repent. That's why he hadn't returned yet. We have work to do because time's running out. He wants as many as possible to go with him and to be in the family of God by receiving him as their Savior and Lord. I'm gonna ask right now, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, may it inspire us. May it challenge us, Lord, to live with eternity in mind that we would yearn for the return, eagerly awaiting, live ready for the return of Jesus Christ and we would share the good news with others. We'd invite them, Lord, to experience your goodness, your presence, Lord, even in a church gathering like this, Lord, where your presence is so strong, where two or three are gathered in your name. There you are. And right now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed for our online campus, I want to give you an opportunity. I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord today, that, that you, can, you can say He is Lord today. Place your life in His hands. Receive Him as your Lord. And, and you can be sure of an unshakable future in His presence for all time and eternity. The Bible says if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so what I want to do right now is I want to lead you in a prayer that you can repeat after me right where you are, at home, on your coffee break, in your car. You can repeat this prayer after me. Open your heart to him and receive him as your Savior and Lord right now. Just just repeat this prayer after me right now. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sin. I turn from my sin today. Jesus, thank you for living for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. And Jesus, I actually ask you to lead me, guide me, direct me by your Holy Spirit from this day forward, and I will follow you. Amen. Amen.